Well, good morning. Great to see you. And yeah, week one of our Blessed series. And, um, you know, we've been thinking about this for a long time, praying into this, putting a lot into this series, because we do see it, as Richard said, as a really significant series for us. Uh, Hopefully a culture-shaping series for us, something that God is going to use powerfully. And that story you just heard from Rich and Rob... Um, it's a great one to start with because on one hand, it's, it's very ordinary and yet at the same time, it's deeply profound with people becoming Christians, with people getting saved. Uh, and I'll refer back to that story later on. We'll be hearing other stories over these next few weeks as well. And hopefully we'll be writing lots of new stories in our lives and in the lives of others for a long time to come, way beyond this series. Now, I have a question for you to just consider briefly. You don't have to shout out answers. Just think about this in your, in your head. And the question is this, what do you have to do tomorrow? What do you have to do tomorrow? Now, I imagine for many people, it'll be, well, I've got to go to work, and then at work, I've got to do this, 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 and this. Or it might be, I've got to take the kids to school, Uh, I've got to do the shopping, or I've got to paint the kitchen. Those kind of to-do lists that we we all have, stuff that just needs to get done. But we all know how easily those kind of things can so fill our lives that it actually crowds out any kind of sense of having a bigger picture in our lives, a bigger purpose, a bigger sense of mission. Now, I could ask that question again, but with a different emphasis, with a different interpretation. What do you have to do tomorrow? What do you absolutely have to do tomorrow? As in, what can't you not do? Because if you don't do it, then you are not pursuing and fulfilling the purpose you have in your life, the thing that drives you, your passion, your mission in life. What do you have to do tomorrow? Same question, but a different way of hearing it and interpreting it. It's like two different lenses. One is a very task-focused lens. Got to do this, this, and this. And the other is a more purpose, a mission-focused lens. This is what I have to do. And my guess is that most of us would veer towards the task-focused lens because there are things we have to do. There are tasks that are important to live. But can you see these two different lenses through which you can view that question, what do I have to do? And we're going to look at a story today in John chapter 4. It's a very well-known story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'm really just going to skim the surface of this story today. Uh, But we are going to be coming back to this story again at the end of the series. But the story starts like this in verse 3, in John 4 verse 3. Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Did you hear that? Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, what does that mean? It's a bit like the question I just asked. How can we could interpret that in a couple of different ways? It could be, well, he had to go through Samaria because he didn't have any choice because that's the way you get from Judea to Galilee. And actually, if you look at the map, uh, it's going to come up in a minute. Certainly, that would appear to be the fastest route. Judea at the bottom, Galilee up there at the top. Seems to be the best way is to get up through Samaria until we understand a bit of the history The fact that the Jews despised the Samaritans and the Samaritans despised the Jews for all sorts of historical reasons, religious reasons that we haven't got time to go into now. But the fact is, at that point in history, a group of Jews traveling would have chosen a different route. They would have gone east, they'd have crossed the Jordan and gone up the other side. Such was the level of animosity, the depth of animosity towards the Samaritans that they would have made a different choice. They'd have gone a longer way round. They saw the Samaritans as unclean dogs. And there's no indication in this text that Jesus was in a hurry, that there was something really urgent in Galilee he had to attend to, and so he'd have thought, well, I've got no choice. I've got to go through Samaria. 
I've got to get there quickly. I've got to save time. So to say that Jesus had to go through Samaria, they didn't have any other choice. It's just not right. He did have a choice. And actually the most likely choice for a group of Jews at that time would have been to go the long way around. So maybe we have to think of this in the other way. That Jesus is thinking, no, I I just have to go through Samaria. There's something which is calling him. There's a greater purpose, which means he has to go there. He feels compelled to go there. I have to go through Samaria because, because there's a woman there that I need to meet. I have to go through Samaria because God has given me a mission to pursue. So Jesus is on mission. In everything he does, Jesus is on mission. What is the Jesus mission? What, what, how, can we, how can we classify that? Well, through this story and just reading sections of the story, you're going to try and establish what Jesus' mission looks like. So first of all, from verse 9, uh, sorry, verse 5, it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. See, Jesus was a real man. He got tired. He got thirsty. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, the fact that this happens at noon is significant. It it tells us something about this particular woman. Because the women of the village would have gone either earlier in the day or later in the day when it was cooler. The fact she's there on her own at noon suggests strongly, and it's confirmed later on in the story, that she's something of a social outcast. That she wants to avoid going when other people are going because she'll be the subject and the object of the village gossip. She'll get the glances, she'll get the whispers. So she wants to avoid that. She's a bit ostracized. She's somebody with a questionable moral reputation. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So this is where we see the first element of Jesus' mission. And it is to reach people. It's to reach people who are far from God. Just ordinary people who are dealing with all the stuff of life. Even social outcasts. And in meeting with this woman, Jesus is breaking all sorts of social conventions. About men interacting with women. About Jews interacting with Samaritans. But he doesn't care that she's a Samaritan. And he doesn't really care that she's a a woman with a questionable reputation who's been rejected by her community. He is there to reach her. That's his mission. That's his goal. I'm here to reach you. You are who I have been led to. And he does this in an incredibly simple way. Jesus manages to cut through centuries of suspicion and animosity by quietly asking her for help. Will you give me a drink? He places huge value on this woman by making himself vulnerable and inviting her to help him, inviting her to serve him. The door to the conversation that followed was opened very simply through the honest expression of a basic human need and providing the opportunity for her to help him. That's how he reached her. It's very simple. The story continues in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never 
thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, we know from elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus is talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about living water. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. But naturally, the woman is still thinking at a very earthly level. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And knowing what we know about her, we can see what an attractive thought that is to avoid the hell of coming out in the heat of the day or the hell of having to go when the other women are there. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. I mean, it's like Jesus has just taken a surgical scalpel here and he has cut right through to the heart of the issue. This is the source of her shame her relationship history, her history with men. This is the source of her shame. This is why she's been rejected by her community. And she must have felt pretty exposed at that particular moment. But, you know, Jesus isn't being harsh with her. It's a kindness. Because to receive this free gift of living water, you can't receive it without repentance. Without shame actually being uncovered. You just can't receive it otherwise. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And then they have a discussion, goes on about worship and theological things. And in verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. What a moment that must have been. But in that dialogue, there's been a complete role reversal going on. So the woman has gone from being the one who's being asked for help and to give this thirsty traveller water and effect to be the giver of life by providing water is switched completely to her asking him for the water he can provide and coming to the realisation of who he is, that he is the giver of life. And the incredible realisation that this giver of life has come in weakness, in human frailty, to share God's gift with the likes of her. And so it's in this section of the story that we see the second element of Jesus' mission, and it is to restore. It's to restore people. He comes to reach people who are far from God, people whose lives have been messed up, corrupted by sin, by selfishness, by pride, by insecurity, by all those kind of things, but then to restore them to the kind of life that they were created for, the kind of life they were designed for, to give them this living water. See, this woman's life had been shattered by, by her own poor choices, but also by people who claimed to love her, but just used her. And here we have this man, who is actually God himself, loving her. But he's not using her, he's coming to restore her, to life-giving relationship with himself, and restore her relationships with others as well. He comes to reach, he comes to restore. Then verse 28 Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. See, we see the restoration happening in this woman kind of before our eyes. Her whole purpose in life has suddenly changed. She leaves her water jar, that thing she had to do, because now she has something, I have to do this. 
She has a bigger purpose to go and tell people what's just happened to her. Tell people about Jesus, about this man. She doesn't understand it all yet, but she goes and tells everybody what has happened. She points people to Jesus. Notice what she says is not deeply theological. Come and see this guy. He's just told me everything I've ever done. She points people to Jesus. They come to him because of her witness. Isn't that what witnessing is? It's just to point people to him. This social outcast who avoided everybody has suddenly completely changed to going and seeking anybody she can find out and telling them about Jesus, saying, come and see this guy. And they're listening to her because she's changed. Something has changed. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And slow on the uptake as ever, his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus. I wonder if he sighed as he said this. Let me explain. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then verse 39. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know this man, he really is the savior of the world. And so the third element of Jesus' mission becomes clear here. And it is to reproduce this mission in the lives of others. To make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and so on. To change the world one life at a time. That is the Jesus mission. To reach, to restore and to reproduce that mission in others. That's his mission. That's what you see across his, across his ministry. Now you know this is the basis of the mission of this church. Okay, to reach people. Who are we reaching? Ordinary people who are far from God, whoever they may be. If whether it's people who are rich or poor, whether they have messy lives or they've got very well-ordered lives, whether they're social outcasts, the lowest of the low, bottom of the pile, or they're so-called respectable people, we're here to reach ordinary people. Restore. Well, how are people restored? They're restored by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's about being changed by Jesus. And to reproduce the mission in others, it's about changing the world. One life at a time. Making disciples who make disciples. We exist as a church to pursue this. To pursue the Jesus mission. We exist as a church to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. To reach, to restore, to reproduce the mission in others. That's the Jesus mission. And that is the church mission. Is it your mission? Is it your mission in life? Do you live this? Do you live the Jesus mission? Do you feel like you're a stakeholder Do you take ownership of the mission that God has given us as a church? Or is it just a kind of abstract thing that other people do because I don't feel like I'm very good at it? See, here's the thing. This mission is not an optional extra. It's not a bolt-on to Christianity like you might get with a mobile phone package. It's part and parcel of Christianity. It's part of who you are if you're a follower of Jesus because it's the explicit command of Jesus. He says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And he's not just saying that to the church as a whole, as an entity, as a body. He says it to his disciples, to his followers. He says that to his people. See, we haven't just been saved from something. It's wonderful what we've been saved from, but... We've also been saved for something. 
We've been saved for a purpose. We've been saved for mission, to partner with Jesus in the greatest mission of all. Now, what if that was the thing that got us out of bed in the morning? What if that was our purpose, our passion in life, the thing we absolutely have to do today? I'm on mission with Jesus. And what's he going to do today? I can't wait to find out. I'm just on the ride with him. What if that was our passion and our purpose in life? But sometimes I think we can be more passionate and more evangelistic about organic food or about being a vegan or about Brexit, whatever side you're on, or saving polar bears or sport. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about any of those things, by the way, unless you're more passionate about them than you are about the mission God has given you. That's a problem if we find that that's the case in our life. Jesus said in the story, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He's saying, this is what sustains me. That's my sustenance, is to do the will of him who sent me. I've been given a mission, and my very being is governed by being on that mission and pursuing that with every fiber of my being. That is what dominates my thinking, is what dominates my actions. That's what Jesus is saying. God has given us a mission. The bottom line is this. That we are surrounded by people, people we know and people we don't know. We're surrounded by people who are heading for eternal separation from God. People are heading for eternity without God. Eternity in hell. And if we feel indifferent to that, as we so often do, I so often do, I insulate myself from that fact, from that reality. If we feel indifferent to that, we need to ask God to break our hearts for the lost, to fill us with his love. Because if I lack courage in being a witness to Jesus, ultimately it's because I lack love. I want to see people through his eyes and, and through the lens of his burning love and his burning passion. It's the same burning love and passion that led him to come as a man and die an agonizing criminal's death on a cross so that we could be with him. And I want to see people with that same love that Jesus showed. We don't have the power to save anybody. Only God can save anybody. But we do have a responsibility to be his witnesses, to be witnesses to Jesus, just like the woman at the well, so that they come and see him for themselves if they want to, if they wish. We can't force anybody. Now, I guess we would all agree with that. might make us shift a bit uncomfortably in our seats. But I guess we'd all agree, yeah, no, God has given us that mission. He did say, go and make disciples of all nations. It still leaves the question of how. How do we do that? Because generally, we don't really feel like we're very good at this stuff. So this is where bless comes in. I'm going to introduce bless briefly today, knowing that we're going to be unpacking it in a lot more detail over the next few weeks, on Sunday mornings, in small groups. You have your pocket guides there on your seats that explain bless very clearly, very succinctly. Please take them away with you. Take them home, one each. Leave them somewhere visible to act as a good reminder. But the aim of introducing bless today is that we get started on it today. No waste time. Let's just get going on it today. So what does BLESS mean? BLESS stands for five very simple missional practices that anyone, anyone can engage in. So B, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. You look at Jesus, any time he was doing anything, he started in prayer. He prayed for a whole night. He, he, begin with prayer. Write a list of people who are in your life, friends, neighbors, family, colleagues, who don't know Jesus, ask God, pray about this, ask God, who would you have me put on my list 
You can use the bookmark, you can use the, the, the business card you have there, or whatever means is going to help you. But write a list and then pray for those people every day. Ask God to bless them. Ask God for opportunities for you to bless them. Ask God for their salvation. Ask him also for divine appointments. To put someone across my path today. To, to, to have an encounter with someone that's unexpected. So begin with prayer. L is listen. It's really important that we are people who listen more than we talk to people. Emphasize listening before speaking. Because when you listen, you hear what's going on in somebody's life. Listen out for the struggles they have. Ask questions. Find out what's going on with them. Listen out for what God is already doing in their life. Listen to God for those people. E is eat together. I like this one. This is a good one. Eat together. Because when we sit down over a meal or over a coffee or whatever it might be, we build relationships in a deeper way. When you sit down together, your conversation goes to a depth that it doesn't when you're just having a conversation in passing. So eat together. S is for serve. Because if you're praying for people regularly, and you're listening to them, and you're eating with them, they will tell you how to love them. If you're listening hard enough. They'll tell you how to love them. Opportunities to serve them will open up. Be intentional about it. Be intentional about seeking the opportunities. Be intentional about taking those opportunities. And the second S is for story. Share your story. Because if you're doing those first four steps, the opportunity will arise to share some of your own story, of your own life, how Jesus has changed your life and how he is changing your life. question is, will you be ready for that? Will you be ready for that? Your story, you might not think you have much of a story. You might, I don't know, you you might think, well, I don't have anything very dramatic in my story. It doesn't matter. Your story is the most powerful witness you have because it's yours. Nobody can deny your story. It's the most powerful thing you have. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Just look at the woman at the well. Come and see this guy. That was her story at the time. That was her understanding. And it drew people to Jesus. You know, this isn't rocket science. None of this is rocket science, and it's nothing new. This is nothing new. Some of you, I'm sure, will be looking at this and thinking, but I already do that. That's kind of what I already do. And that's brilliant. Keep doing it and keep being intentional about it. Do it all the more. But I suspect that for most of us, for the rest of us, the majority of us, the idea, this is going to help us. And the idea of this is to do one of these blessed practices, one of these blessed missional practices every day. That's the aim. Do one of these practices every day. Make sure you're praying every day for those on your list. Make sure you're being intentional about seeking opportunities for the other things. To to listen, to eat together, to serve, to share your story. And just see what God does. See what God will do. My hope is that even if you're someone who utterly recoils from the word evangelism, it just makes you shudder, that you look at this, you look at bless, and you think, I can do that. Yeah, no, I can do that. Because that was my reaction when I first saw this. And by the way, this is evangelism. If you do this, you are engaging in evangelism. Something that is absolutely essential to this working, something that's essential to to bless, being effective, is doing it with others. So if you're in a small group, in, in a couple of weeks' time, the question will start to be regularly asked every week, who have you blessed this week? And that's your chance to just share whatever is going on with bless. To share anything that's happened as a result of bless. So I've been praying for this person and we met up for coffee. That's a story. That's a great story. I've been praying for this person and they texted me to meet up. Or I've been praying for this person. You know what? 
We had a conversation that we've, we never had that depth of conversation before. It's a great story. It's a chance to share it because when you share it, it encourages others. Who have you blessed this week? That's the question that's going to be asked. It keeps one another accountable. It keeps it at the forefront of our minds. It means you're involving others in this journey. Who have you blessed this week? The intention is that that question will become a regular part of all our small groups beyond the series. That this time next year, we'll still be asking, who have you blessed this week? This time in two years' time, we'll still be asking, who have you blessed this week? Keeping us on track with this, with this mission of God that God has given us and hearing all the stories of what God is doing through this. Blessed is not an idea that has just occurred. Like it's the latest good idea. Hey, let's just do it as a church and see what happens. No, no, no. As I said earlier... We've been thinking about this and praying into this for a long time. And as part of that, we've been doing BLESS, we've been pursuing BLESS as a staff team for the last year or so. And so we've got a short video here which will just show a few reflections from some of our staff. So if we could play that. So since doing BLESS as a staff team, what I've found is that the structure has given me the tools to develop deeper friendships with people that don't know Jesus yet. And what's brilliant about it is it all felt very natural and easy. Bless has really encouraged me to step out of the boat. I've been promising to pray for people for years or saying I'll pray for a situation and never really followed through. But then when everybody's doing it, there's a higher level of accountability and it just has helped me in my prayer life. Because I work for a church, a lot of people that I hang out with are Christians. And so Bless made me think about who am I being intentional with about sharing who Jesus is. And so with that, I started Spanish classes, which means that I get to meet non-Christian friends and meet with them weekly. And I pray before the classes so that I can be listening into what God is wanting to do each time. When my son told me that he had made a new friend at school, it would have been easier just to arrange play dates or encourage them to be friends at school. But instead, because we had been doing Bless as a staff team, I intentionally arranged to get together with the mum as well. While the boys played, we chatted. I listened intentionally more than I talked. I found out about her story and a way I could serve her, and the eating part came really naturally because she loves to cook and I love to eat. I've heard a lot about her story and I'm looking forward to being able to tell her about mine. So I've got a sales background and a good friend of mine also does. He's recently been made redundant and lost his job and he's been on my bless list so I've been able to pray for him and his situation and I'd always been scared about talking about the Lord with him previously but recently I've told him I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your situation and I'm praying for the Lord's best for your life. And the reaction has been completely different to what I expected. He's been so grateful and warm and wanting to speak to me more. I think it's changed how I treat others. Uh, The instinct now is just to bless people. I've had a very close relative come to faith in Jesus. I can't believe the change, but basically what I did was I blessed them and it works. Yeah, I think we've been genuinely surprised by the openings we've had in people's lives over the last year, by conversations that have opened up that we haven't had before with some of those people that we uh, know. Um, I said, this is where I keep my list, so it's in my little black book, my journal, and at the back of my book, there's here's my blessed list, and um, there's ten names on my list at the moment. It didn't start out with ten names. That's added as time has gone on. But um, there's one guy on here who I had been praying for sporadically before. I had kind of had a couple of conversations, but I hadn't actually seen him for months. And I'd stopped praying. And um, I thought, right, I'm going to, when we decided to do this, I thought, right, I'm going to put you on my list. I'm going to pray for you. Literally the next day, he texted me and said, oh, we should meet up for a beer. And I thought, wow, 
that really, that was quick, God, that was amazing. So we did, and we had great chats, and we continue to have great chats. There's, um, there's, a, there's a guy on here who I've had the opportunity over this last year or so to build a really good friendship with. I didn't know him that well before, but through common interests, through things that we, we do together, um, I've been able to build a really good friendship with him, and he's asked me about my story. He's, 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 and I've had opportunity to talk to him, and he's come along to church and, and all that kind of thing. And so that was a really unexpected development for me. There's somebody on my list as well, somebody who's close to me who... I had the opportunity to pray for him, I would listen, I, I served him, um, we ate together, all of that. And one day, out of the blue, he phoned me up and said, John, it'd be great to go out for a coffee, I just want to hear some of your story. I was just, I was, what? It's, that is unbelievable. You know, God is opening doors, God has opened doors. There's one guy on here who was a later addition, he's one of my neighbours, and it was one of these where I was just out, during my sabbatical actually, I was just out and I was praying generally, God, who can I bless today? Who can I bless today? Who could you bring across my path? And then I bump into this guy walking his dog. And I sort of, my first thought was, shall I cross over the road so we don't have to have an awkward conversation? And I thought, oh no, 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 you've just been asking God, to, to, who can I bless this? So I, so I went with him, we had a conversation. You know, this has previously been a kind of like a nod to each other and a high across the road. And we had the first conversation we've had properly in, in kind of 14 years. And so I thought, right, I'm putting you on my list because that felt like a divine appointment. You know, God has been opening all sorts of doors. You might think, you might look at me and think, well, it's all right for you because, you know, you're a church leader and so you're good at this kind of stuff. No, I'm terrible at, I'm terrible at conversation. Many of you know this. I'm, I'm, it is, doesn't come naturally to me at all to go and talk to people about Jesus. But God has been opening doors through pursuing bless. You know, I've invited people to church stuff before, Alpha, Christmas, and they've never come. Last Christmas, a number of people on this list came to Carols at Kings, and they heard the gospel, and they were blown away by it. And a couple of people on this list came to our Easter service last year, and wow, they loved it. And it just opened up all sorts of conversations. Now, have any of these people on my list come to faith yet? No. Because this is a journey. You know, you've got, to, you've got to stick at this. You've got to be in this for the long haul. That's part, of, that's part of loving one another. It's why the support and encouragement of others is so important in this journey. But are these people closer to faith than they were before? Absolutely. Absolutely. And am I encouraged to continue with this, to keep praying for them, to keep blessing them? You bet I am, because I want to see these 10 people saved and baptized and bringing other people along as well. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I want to see these guys in the kingdom of God. And that's what bless is about. That's what the principle behind bless is. In Genesis 12, God blesses Abraham in order for him to be a blessing to the world. It's the same for us. We've been blessed, mightily blessed, in order to be a blessing to those around us, those who God has put in our lives. You know, that's what Rich and Rob's story was all about. Stuart Morris, he blessed Rich by being kind, by being compassionate, by being bold with his faith, by sharing, by, by praying for him. Rich became a Christian, then Rich in turn. He blessed Rob, and it led to Rob becoming a Christian. And Rob has been involved in mission in Pakistan, and he works for Frontiers. The point being, Stuart didn't just reach Rich, he reached a whole load of people through Rich. Jesus didn't, wasn't just about reaching one woman at the well, it was about reaching the whole village through this woman. And this is what bless is about. You see, if across this church, let's say all of us had five people on our bless list. I know some will have a lot more, but let's just, for the sake of argument, say everyone in the church has five people on the bless list. That represents somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 people who are being prayed for every day and intentionally blessed. That's a lot of people. 
But then think that each of those three to 5,000 people represent another five people. Now we're getting into the realms of 15 to 25,000 on top of the three to 5,000. That is exponential reach. It's exponential reach because by reaching one person, actually, you are potentially reaching tens of people and even, in some cases, maybe hundreds of people with the life-giving good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we've been called to. We've been called to this town as a church, called to High Wycombe and the surrounding areas. We've been called as a church to have a gospel impact on this town. We, God has blessed us mightily. He's grown us to what we are now, but we want to keep growing through people getting saved. We want to see many, many people saved. We want to see revival in this town. And, you know, launching other sites. We launched our Hazelmere site a couple of years ago, and who knows what other sites in the future as God leads us. The idea behind that is to go to where people are, to be a presence in different communities. But here's the thing, no one is actually going to be saved, or it's going to be very rare that someone's going to be saved just by virtue of the fact that we're here, or that we're there up in Hazelmere. We can't expect people to just come and see because we're here. We have to go and tell. We have to go and show Jesus to people. Jesus' mission was incarnational. He came as a man, God himself coming as a man and personally reaching people. Well, we're his representatives. And so we're to do the same. It's incarnational mission. It's relational mission. And I really believe that Bless will help us in this. I think it's going to help us a lot in this. And it's my prayer that everyone in the church, even you, even, even the person who's most afraid of evangelism, that every person in this church will have a missional story to tell by this time next year. That's just one of the little aims I've set in my mind for this, for this thing of bless that we're doing. Somebody whose life you have touched, somebody you've been able to bless, somebody who is closer to faith than they were before, maybe even has come to faith. I remember when, when I was first a Christian, I'm just going to finish on this, when I was first a Christian, new Christian, age of 17, nearly 18, and everything was exciting and everything was new and the possibilities were endless and I was bold, I was really bold and I was, I was willing to take risks to tell people about Jesus and I was prepared to step out in faith and it was like walking with God was just this giant, massive, exciting adventure. It was an adventure of faith. Now I wonder, can you remember a time like that in your life? When it felt like that. And for some of you, you're there now. (laughs) That's brilliant. Keep going, keep going. Don't lose that sense of adventure and excitement of this. And there may be some for whom actually you've never felt like that because fear has always held you back. But I suspect for most of us, it's a memory. There's a memory of a time a bit like that, but the concerns and the routines of life have taken over. Well, I just want to say this. It's time to get back on the adventure. Come on, let's get back on that adventure. Life with God should be one massive, exciting, great big adventure. But the best thing about all of this is that you do none of this alone. We do it together. We spur one another on on this. We, we encourage one another in this. So let's really go for this. And let's start today. Write your lists today. Start praying today and just see what God will do. This is such a great adventure. It's a brilliant adventure to be on together. And it's an adventure that we trust is going to bless thousands and advance the kingdom of God in High Wycombe and beyond. Are we ready? Let's go for it.